Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Uh, a lot of times we want doctrine to be just head knowledge, stuff we know and stuff we believe, but God desires for us to take what we believe and let it affect our behavior uh, in, in our life. In uh, chapter 12, and that's where we've been so far, what we're finishing up today, he uh, tells us things that we need to be uh, kind of better at, I guess, in order for us to be better servants of God. Uh, so far, uh, we started out looking in, in Romans uh, 12, and we saw that we're supposed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. Say, God, here's my body, here I am, transform my mind, take me and use me. Uh, so doing so would help us be a better servant. We also are to be functioning members of his body. So by being uh, part of the body of Christ, all of us have things that he's gifted us to do, abilities that we need to be uh, using in our lives to serve him. Uh, so that can help us be a better servant of God. Uh, two weeks ago, because I was going into uh, the prison ministry that we'll actually share a little bit about near the end of the service, uh, we saw that we're supposed to be practicing examples of love. Uh, if we are going to be the servants that God wants us to be, we also need to love like he wants us to love other people or we won't have really the opportunity to serve others in, in the way that God would want us to. Today, we get at verse 17 through 21, it's where we've arrived in Romans 12. And the topic is this, that, that you and I as Christians, those who know Christ, we need to be a patient person of justice. I don't know if God worked this out for me or not. I'm sorry that my wife is homesick, but it might be an opportune time for me that she's homesick if I'm going to talk about patience. Because if she were here, she may get up and exit the building or something, to, you know, if she, if she thought that I was going to talk about being patient. Because I don't know if you ever wrestle with that. I do uh, sometimes in, in, in my life. Uh, look at these verses, and then we'll kind of uh, break down uh, what uh, Paul is saying, what God is saying through Paul. Uh, he says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To, to the contrary, in other words, instead of us practicing revenge, to the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A lot of times when people mistreat us, we uh, have this initial desire because we're human to want to pay them back or get back at, at this person because they have mistreated us. We kind of want to scream out for justice because someone has offended us and we want justice. Uh, problem is because of our human nature, we want justice plus some with interest added to it uh, a lot of times. But one thing we need to remember before we just start screaming out for justice is this. God has been merciful with us. God has given us grace. 
And if God himself only dealt in the realm of justice, none of us would have any hope. Do you realize that? None of us would have any chance if God did not have mercy for us. So we need to be willing to have mercy and grace for other people, even when they mistreat us. If you think about what we've already seen in just Romans 12 alone, there'd be some pretty good reasons or principles as to why we should not practice revenge upon other people. I mean, think about what I covered just a moment ago. We're presenting our bodies as living sacrifices saying, God, transform my mind. That means this, God, I belong to you. I ought to do what you want me to do. You say, don't practice revenge. So since I belong to you and you're transforming my mind, I need to think like you instead of think like the rest of the world. If I'm going to be a functioning member of his body, that means Christ is the head of the body, so we need to let the head tell the body what to do. So God is telling us not to practice revenge. If we're to be practicing examples of love, God is telling us that that's what we ought to be. We ought to practice his love toward other people. So that kind of goes against the idea of, I want to pay you back, you know. So just in what we've already seen in Romans 12, there there are a lot of really important principles that we could probably apply to this idea of, of you and I seeking seeking vengeance. What I want us to do in, in, in the time we've got together here is, is this. We're going to kind of look at some at some reasons why we ought to be patient people of justice, why we should refrain from trying to bring revenge against uh, other people. Uh, here's here's number, number one. Before we seek revenge as Christians, for those of us who know Christ, set out to seek revenge, we, we need to realize something very important. We need to realize that other people are watching. Look what Paul writes in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, and if we'll break that verse in half, kindly, uh, God gives us a rule to begin with about revenge. And the rule is simply this. The rule is, he's telling us that you and I as believers, we don't need to be repaying anyone evil for evil. Just because they give evil to me doesn't mean I get to give it back to them. I get to pay it back to them. I looked up no one. I was hoping it didn't mean no one. It give me an out sometimes. But it means actually that. It means no one. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done to us. God is telling us that we don't need to repay evil with evil. We don't need to practice in that way. Because to be honest with you guys, if we have that kind of attitude, it'll cost us more than we meant for it to sometimes. I mentioned a moment ago that uh, last Sunday I was not here and four other uh, people from day three along with other people from other churches uh, went into Alexander Maximum Security Prison uh, in, in Cairo's prison ministry. I promise you that there are probably a lot of men that are in that prison for one reason, one reason alone. They decided to seek revenge and pay somebody back. That's not the reason for all of them being there, but that's the reason I dare say for a huge number of them being there because they decided they were going to pay somebody back. You see, it might cause you to take the life of someone else. It might cause you to lose your own life. It will definitely ruin our testimony in the ability we have to serve God the way he wants us to. If we have this attitude that we're always going to repay evil for evil, that we're going to get back at people when they have offended us in some way. Now put that in a ministry context for a moment. Because you see, it, it's not just that, that people out in the world treat people wrongly. According to what Jesus said, we need to expect that if we serve him, we're going to be mistreated. 
He, he told his own disciples this. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We, we delude ourselves into believing if we serve Christ and if we follow him, that everybody out there is going to love us, but that's not near the truth at all. Because just because you're serving Jesus, you will run into people that will dislike you and people that will persecute you and people that will harm you. Jesus experienced it. He's our master. We're going to experience it ourselves. The apostle Paul that is being used to write these words understood clearly what it was to be persecuted or be offended by other people. He was uh, this kind of big wig in Judaism. And then he sees that Jesus is the real uh, thing and he trusts in Jesus. And as a result of it, some of the ones he used to be friends with in Judaism are actually trying to hunt him down and kill him. Why? Simply because he trusted in Jesus. See, the Bible tells us that there's something called the offense of the cross. And we ought to stand as Christians for the offense of the cross. We ought to be willing to take offense into our lives because of the cross. But that doesn't give us the right to be offensive Christians. And that's where the second part of verse 17 comes in. He gives us a rule, but then he gives us a a reason. A reason. The, The reason why you and I should not be seeking to carry out revenge in our lives is this. He says... But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Instead of us in a mad rage trying to pay somebody back for what they've done to us. Instead of us plotting and planning and holding bitterness in our heart to get back at someone. He he says that we need to give some thought to do what is honorable. And and it's kind of interesting, the the phrase in the Greek for give thought means to consider in advance. It means to look out beforehand. So in other words, we kind of need to stop and think what revenge will ultimately cause to happen. What it may cause in somebody else's life, what it may cause in our life, how it can ruin our testimony as Christians. We need to stop and think about it in advance before we do anything that we shouldn't do. Hey, the, the word even means this. It means by, by way of maintenance for others. So, so you see, we're kind of helping maintain somebody else's life when we fail to practice revenge, when we withdraw from revenge. Instead of practicing revenge against them, we're actually trying to do something that's good for them. You'll understand that more in, in just a moment when we get farther into the message. But instead of trying to repay people evil for evil, we ought to be doing what is honorable, what is good. And then he used this, this phrase, he said, in the sight of all. And that literally means in the face of. And when you look at the root word, it means with eyes wide open. It's not talking about people casually looking or actually Accidentally seeing something for a moment. It's really giving us this thought. You and I should not practice revenge because there's a world around us that's gazing with eyes wide open trying to see how we're going to act. And when we're mistreated and when someone offends us and, and the world is watching and if they see us strike back in revenge and act just like the rest of the world, we have ruined our opportunity to impact their lives for Jesus. You see, we, we try and buy into it. Well, the rest of the world does it. That's the way that person acts. That's the way they treated me. So I ought to treat them in the same way. You and I as believers are not called to act like the rest of the world. We're called to act like Jesus. We're, we're called to practice his love. And, and we need to recognize in the sight of all, there's a lost world that is watching our actions. And we, we need to think in advance how our actions might impact their lives. See, when you think about revenge, it may not just impact their life physically if you go after them physically. When Christians practice revenge, we may affect someone's eternity. 
because we have ruined the chance that possibly we have or other Christians might ever have because they get the idea, if that's the way a Christian is, I don't want to be one. That's the way a Christian acts, then I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. He said in the face of all, that means people that like you and people that don't like you. That means people that love Jesus and people that don't even know Jesus yet. And you see, that's kind of the point. That's why we don't need to be seeking revenge. There's people that don't know him yet, and we need to be able to impact their lives. We, there, there are people that, that are like us, that have the same likes and kind of look like us, dress like us. There are people in the world that are absolutely, totally different than us. It doesn't matter. We need to think in advance and do what's honorable before all people and refrain from practicing revenge because it will completely destroy our opportunity to reach them for Christ many times if we just think, I want to get even. And it's not just that a lost world is watching, God is watching. Because look what said is, look what it said here in First Peter. Do, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you recall to, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Then notice this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Now there's a positive aspect of that, but sometimes that's all we want to focus on. Thank God God's watching over me. That's true. That also means he sees the good and the bad. That also means he's watching us when we decide to seek revenge after somebody. And it says his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do what? Evil. So if his face is against someone that does evil, I don't have the right just because someone did evil to me to try and practice revenge against them. So reason number one is, is just, is just simply that. We need to understand other people are watching us. God's watching us. A lost world is watching us. That's why we have to be careful about seeking revenge as, as Christians. Reason number two is this. Before we seek revenge, we need to remember that our goal is peace. Our goal is peace. Look what is said in verse number 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He didn't say, here's the goal I have for you. If someone mistreats you, you mistreat them. The, the goal that, that we ought to look at instead of try practicing revenge is if possible, as far as it depends on us, we're to live peaceably with, with all. Now, now, I want you to notice the, the little word if, uh, because that is a conditional particle in the Greek, which means this, it's not always possible. You understand that? We live in an imperfect world. We live in a world that's been impacted by sin. So it is not always possible to live peaceably, but as much as it is on us, as much as we possibly can, as much as you and I as Christians have the ability to do so, we need to have the desire to live peaceably as much as it depends upon us. Our part of the deal is this. We need to be trying to live peaceably with others. Instead of seeking revenge, instead of having the wrong attitude toward them, instead of trying to pay them back in some way, on our end of the deal, we need to live as peacefully as we can with other people. Now, now let me stop and point something out because I don't really have time to, uh, to, to preach a whole sermon about whether or not you should defend yourself. Um, the Bible 
here that we're looking at today is talking about revenge. Understand what revenge is. Revenge is someone has taken an action against you. It's over and done. And then you decide you're going to get back at them. That's revenge. Revenge is not in the moment when someone is threatening your life or threatening the life of your family. Revenge and defending yourself is two different things. Now, I don't have the time to go into the full detail, and some of you probably would disagree with an old hard-headed ex-cop anyway about what I think you ought to do. Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you, don't come after my family, okay? There are things that are very close to my bed that you would not want to experience that I keep close by, okay? But I don't have time to go in full detail with, with that. So if you want to write down uh, something, write down this, this website that we're going to bring up on the slide, I think. Next slide. Uh, BiblicalSelfDefense.com. Uh, because it is a fair treatise, kind of viewing it from all sides, both sides. And I don't have the time to preach both of the things today. So if you want to understand whether or not you can defend or should defend yourself as a Christian, go there and read what's there, and that will help you out. But today we're not talking about defending yourself. We're talking about after everything's over with, said and done, someone has offended you, and you try to seek revenge against them. That's the topic that Paul's writing about. Our goal as Christians is to live peaceably with all. Look at that phrase he uses for to live peaceably with. It, it, the, the root word is the same word in the Greek that talks about you and I as sinners having been an enemy of God. And then by faith in Jesus, when we trust Jesus as our Savior, instead of being an enemy with God, now we are brought back together with God. We are unified together with Him. That's the thought that He's given to us. Just like you as law, you and I as lost sinners were brought into unity with God and been made one with God, we need to also have that type of unity with other people. Even though it might have been someone that was an enemy. Hey, remember you were a sinner? Remember who God is? He's perfect. I want to remind you something. You're, you might have enemies, but you're not perfect. Okay? <laughs> and that's why we need to be very careful about how we act and how we try and take revenge ourselves because we are not perfect and other people are not perfect but we need to be brought back together with them if at all possible jesus said this blessed in matthew chapter 5 verse 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of god what are some reasons why you and i should not seek revenge why should we be more patient when it comes to justice instead of us trying to exercise justice ourselves why should we not do that why should we be more patient well other people are watching our goal is not revenge to start with the goal that god gave us was to be a peacemaker number three is this before we seek revenge as christians before we decide that we're going to go after somebody and pay somebody back we need to release vengeance to God. And see, here's why. Vengeance is not mine, it's His. I, I don't have the right to hold on to it. Instead of us holding revenge in our hearts and, and say, I'm going to keep that there until I get a chance to pay them back. I'm going to let it seethe in my heart and my life and get more bitter uh, against someone. Before we seek revenge, we have to turn loose of it and, and release that to God. Verse 19 and following, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, 
I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He's quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 35. God said there in the Old Testament, Vengeance is mine and recompense. For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. I want you to get two things here. First of all, we need to recognize that vengeance is not our right as Christians. Christians must recognize that revenge or vengeance, that's not our, our right. He, he said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. No, no, that word beloved means dearly loved or well loved. God loved us. God dearly loved us. God exercised grace toward us. God sent his son to die on the cross for us. God looks at us and he calls us beloved. That's how God, how God views us. And we need to view other people in the same way. It's a form of the word agape. In, in light of the fact that we have been loved by God. We need to remember something. We should not be avenging ourselves, trying to retaliate, to punish someone else, to carry out justice ourselves, to be the punisher ourselves. So one really good reason why that is, that is true is, is that I don't have the full picture. I, I don't know everything that, that might have happened. He, he said we're to leave it, leave this revenge to the wrath of God. And the word for leave it means to give a spot or a space for something. It's like by you and I withholding our revenge. We're giving room or space for God's revenge to take place. The same word in the Greek was used to talk about a scabbard, the place where you put your sword. So it kind of gives me this thought, this idea that you and I as Christians, instead of pulling our sword out and going after somebody to revenge them, then we need to leave our sword in place and give space for God to pull his sword. Because God's the one that is to practice the vengeance. It's not our right as believers to go out and just try and practice revenge against someone else. Because as I said a moment ago, we don't have the full picture. That's why vengeance needs to be God's. God is the only one that sees it clearly. God is the only one that has the full story. God's the only one that knows everything that was taking place. A lot of times, have you ever jumped to a wrong conclusion? I have. You ever got mad at somebody because you thought they did something new and you find out they didn't really do it or they didn't really say it and it was just hearsay that came your way? That's happened a lot of times in my life. You see, God never gets tripped up by that. God sees and knows exactly the full scenario. That's why vengeance needs to belong to him. Because if we try and take it into our hands, we only see partially. And we might misunderstand and it might be misrepresented when we try and take it to ourselves. This past week in the prison, I was really confronted with my own, uh, <laughs> my own fleshly desire to wreak out vengeance on, on someone or revenge. At the, the table and, and, 
in Kairos, you have like tables set up, and it'll be like the family of John, the family of Mark. Mine was called the family of Mark this time. And you'll have uh, uh, three uh, Kairos workers and a table servant that's keeping cookies and and drinks and you know everything before them all the time. And and, and then we have the rest of the the people at the table. There's five, I think, uh, prisoners that are there at the table, and we uh, and we listen to talks, kind of like a sermon, but they call it a talk. And 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 then we discuss it, and they actually draw posters to represent what it means to make them think about the principles that they've been taught and everything. Uh, on the last day on Sunday, and man, I'd had a good good week, good weekend. But one of the guys at our, at our table who uh, happened to be in a, in a wheelchair, he finally spoke up. He'd been really quiet, and, and he admitted that he had hated God a lot in his life. Now, I'll talk a little bit later in, in a way of testimony, some of the other guys will from Kairos, about somebody having said it hated God. This is a different guy. But this guy's in a wheelchair and, and, and I begin, you know, we begin to ask him kind of, well, why do you hate God? And he said, well, I was shot six times and that put me in the wheelchair. And, and then, you know, I, I asked more about it and he said, well, I, I was running from the law and I shot, uh, twice at them and then they shot me. So I'm thinking, don't blame that one on God, you know? I, I mean, you're running, you shoot at them, you might as well expect they're, they're going to shoot back. So, so, but then he went on and he said, but the thing I really hate God for, is that while I've been in prison, my, my son died. And I thought, man, that, that's tragic, and that probably happens a lot, regrettably, while people are in prison. And then I asked him, uh, how, how old was your, was your son? Or how was your son killed? I asked him to start with, and he said, somebody beat him to death. And then I asked him, how old was your son? And he said, 11 months. He said 11 months, I kind of had to walk around the table for a few minutes because I'm thinking if I could get my hands on somebody that would beat an 11-month-old to death. So I I had to step away and think about things for a moment. And I went back to telling him any of the positive things that I could possibly tell him that I I know were maybe a small consolation for him in in the moment, but... uh, you know, that baby is with the Lord because that baby died in innocence and he can be sure he goes to the Lord and, uh, and, and things like that. But I, I'm just telling you, we see things and we want, we want to retaliate. And I was there. I wanted to do it. Problem is, Jesus lets us know that that's not our, our responsibility. If I've given him my body on the sacrifice and I say, God, transform my mind, I, I need to think like he thinks and do what he wants me to do. When, when, when we think about revenge and why we should not take revenge on, on someone else, I need to recognize that vengeance belongs to God. I, I need to release it to him. It, it's not, it, it's his right. It's not my right to hold on to. And here's why. God has a different goal for us as believers. We need to realize that vengeance is not our responsibility. And here's what, if you'll look at what he says, you'll get a hint of what our responsibility is as believers. He says to the contrary. In other words, instead of us seeking revenge, revenge is to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head, and do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Now, I'm not going to do all the word studies that are there because I, we need to get some testimonies from Kairos up here in, in just a moment. But on, on the next slide, he, he said there are other things to do for us to do it, 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 instead of trying to seek revenge. You know, if your enemy, think about it, he's telling you if your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is thirsty. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. More or less, he's saying when your enemy is vulnerable. You have an enemy that's weakened because he's hungry. You have an enemy that's weakened because he's thirsty. Our natural fleshly thing would be, man, that's an opportune time to get them. Because they're weakened by their hunger and they're, and they're weakened by their thirst. But instead, God tells us we're to feed them. And we're to give them something to drink. And he says, for by doing so, we're, we're heaping coals of fire on, on their head. Now, I've heard that regrettably over the years, uh, sometimes in sermons, you know, regrettably even from, from a pastor once, I think I remember, or people having the attitude or misinterpreting what's being said. All right, I'll be good to my enemy, but I'm only going to do it so I can put fires of coals on his head. That's not what's being said. In, in Middle Eastern culture, they carry a lot of things on baskets. And when a neighbor's fire had gone out, they would go and, 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 and see their, their, their neighbor. And they would take a basket with them and get some hot coals from their neighbor. And then they'd carry it back and balance it on their head back to their house to where they could start a fire. So all the way from having received these hot coals from a friend of theirs, from a neighbor, on their way back home, they're feeling the warmth of those hot coals there. And it's, it, and it's reminding them of the love and the compassion. And it's pricking their conscience, so to speak. So that's what God is really saying here through the pen of Paul. If it's your enemy, if it's somebody who's mistreated you, instead of acting like they think you should act, instead of acting like the world thinks you should act, instead of seeking revenge against them, instead, if we'll love them and minister to them and feed them and give them water and take care of them, by doing so, we're, we're pricking their conscience. By doing so, we're making them think as they walk through their life, why are, why are they treating me good? I treat them bad. And it gives us an opportunity to minister to somebody. That's our goal. Our goal is not revenge. Our goal is ministry to get people to Jesus. <laughs> this past weekend, by your faithful cookie baking and uh, by by you giving and things like that, uh, you empowered some of us from the church to go into a maximum security prison. And while those aren't, quote, my individual enemies, they are like enemies of society because of what they've done. But just you, you equipped us to go in and minister to them and let them feel some compassion and some love to feed them and give them something to drink, to make them think about why would somebody love them in spite of what they've done? Why would somebody care for them? So I want to take a minute, and I'm and I'm going to invite the other guys up to the stage for a second, and uh, they're going to share with you just a, a, a few thoughts, and then I'm going to come back and read a passage of scripture, and I'm going to give you three principles to close with, just three quick principles to help you uh, see what you should do instead of practicing revenge. Uh, if you would, guys, come on up. Thank these guys for the service last week.
promised John we uh, we we put John at the uh, kind of the last right before me last time. So I, I told him I let him go go first this time. I'm going to talk about something different than I did last time too. So okay, um, we'll just throw all kinds of curves. Um, I really appreciate everybody's uh, um, donations and effort and uh, involvement in the Kairos uh, ministry. It was a, it was a great opportunity, and there were a lot of things that were. Um, there were a lot of things that were said and done and, and experienced that were uh, really incredible and kind of hard to put into words. You just have to kind of be there to really understand and grasp what God's doing in the midst of that. But, you know, Lynn's been talking about the, what people deserve and don't deserve and the idea of being gracious when people deserve uh, the opposite. And the guys that are there, they've, they've committed crimes. Some of them pretty, um, it's a maximum security prison, so most of them are pretty bad. Um, <clears throat> I know that if I knew the details, it would probably be very hard for me to go in and do what we did with Kairos. It would be very difficult because when, when your emotion gets involved, it's, it's really hard. Um, and that's why we have to understand that forgiveness is a choice, and grace is a choice, and love is a choice, and and we we choose to to act in those ways and to do those things in spite of what someone deserves. Because quite honestly, the difference in a lot of those guys and a lot of us is that they got caught, or they actually maybe took their feelings a step farther than we have on occasion. Um, any guy who's ever been in a fight has had the thought, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> you know, maybe some of those guys did. Um, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, the one of the most powerful things for me was seeing how these guys who were so hard and so closed off, and some of them all the way up until the very end, the very last day, um, stayed closed off and, and didn't open up until then. I had a guy at my table that finally, oh, I've been praying for him all week, and he, he finally kind of opened up at the end, and and um, uh, he even made a joke about me not about me not uh, knowing something or telling him something that he wanted that he would have wanted to know. And I said, "Well, you didn't open up to me until just now. I didn't have any idea." Um, but he uh, he and a lot of other guys the 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 response that we heard so much last weekend was, I've never been loved like this. Nobody, nobody's ever loved me like this. You, you see guys that go from being cold and standoffish, arms crossed, stern-faced, won't talk, at the end of the week, they come up and they want to hug. And guys in prison don't hug because, number one, they can get in trouble because it, the guards will think they're up to something. The officers will think they're up to something. And um, Number two, it's it's not good for their image. <laughs> you know, but uh, but there was a guy, there was a guy at our table named Leonard um, who uh, um, just saw him soften like a teddy bear you know um and uh he he did he went pretty early you know a lot of the guys held out to the end but he went pretty early 
Um, and, and I realized, and this is the point, and I'll pass it on, you know, we're, we're all the same. Maximum security prison, church office, doesn't matter. <laughs> we're all the same. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to feel safe. Everybody wants to know, know that somehow they're valuable and significant. And these guys haven't felt any of those things in a long time. Some of them maybe never. And um, this weekend, to see how the grace of God and just the willingness of people to come in and, and show love and grace and not care what they had done and not even ask, not want to know, and do it anyway. It was amazing to see what God did as a result of that. So, Hey guys, um, this is my second time having the opportunity to do this. And uh, I wanted to tell you thank you. But before I, um, I start into kind of some of the things over the weekend, I guess this morning I just took a couple of minutes. I heard part of the sermon because I was here at the last one doing the same thing. So um, I, uh, I was looking around this morning and I was thinking about some of the similarities um, between our church body or church body in general and these prisoners. And um, I was... Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And you're going to... Um, I was looking and I was thinking just by looking around and looking at some people's eyes and stuff like that. And some of us are so similar to them because we're locked, not necessarily in four walls, but maybe locked inside of our mind um, because of pain or anger. Um, on the flip side, some of us are probably locked inside because we don't have a willingness to go out and proclaim um, proclaim the Word, and we feel locked in beside that. Um, the complete opposite side of that um, is just like this ministry. Our, our goal as a church body um, is supposed to be going to those prisoners and help setting them free. Maybe not necessarily Kairos and actually going into the physical prison, but going into the person who's sitting beside you here in church or going to that person that's at, um, that's at work beside you um, and helping set them free uh, by sharing the Word. Um, but yeah, kind of like um, uh, like John, I'm not going to speak about the same things I spoke about last time. Um, but uh, this, this last week was really, was really good. Um, I want to tell you guys thank you for for, I guess, sponsoring us and giving us the opportunity to do that. Um, I would love for, for more of you guys to, uh, to go in next time and get to experience this. Um, the same feeling I, I guess I had this time was similar to last time. Um, for a lot of these guys, like John hinted on, they don't get love. And obviously you can kind of understand why. It's not, not an affection that's shown a lot in prison um, for, for multiple reasons. Um, but... If, when you're when you're there and you're in the middle of this, um, for some of these guys, it kind of feels like um, like vacation Bible school, but for a grown man, um, or for some of these guys, an opportunity to be around a, an older man or a, a, that kind of has that father figure resemblance that they didn't have growing up, and maybe the reason they're not, they're actually in there, um, but um, one of the great things that happened this time was I was. Um, I had a different role this past time, and I was actually around a table and got to sit in and really mentor with these guys. And um, one of the things that I noticed was the walls that were really up hardcore 
and high last time weren't up so high this time. They actually came down pretty quick. And that made for some relationships to just really start establishing uh, right there on Friday, where usually those relationships don't happen until Saturday afternoon or Sunday. And um, and through some of these relationships and them just feeling, you know, like it's easy to talk to us or something of that nature, uh, one of the guys I know got saved. Uh, his name was Ronnie. Um, and that's this. that's not... This time, I don't even know how many guys we had saved, but we had a lot more saved this time than we did last time, and so it was five or six. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. Um, But I just want to tell you guys, thank you. Um, It's it's not necessarily, I think, my mission, um, and it might not be something you think you would enjoy. But this has been something that has really opened my eyes and my heart, and uh, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to have gone. And I know um, a lot of you guys spend a lot of time. Um, bacon cookies. So I really appreciate that too. Uh, right, right before Joel uh, goes, because we, we have a, a story that's kind of intertwined uh, a little bit. Uh, but I, I'm going to tell you another one first. I'm going to let him kind of finish up telling his. And uh, But uh, first day uh, fell at my table. His name was Roy. And Roy wouldn't stand up when we were singing or anything. I mean, nothing at all. And the uh, the next day, he told his sponsor that he wanted to talk to me uh, for a few minutes uh, one-on-one. So <clears throat> we get a chance to talk. And uh, he uh, he said two weeks ago, he was in Islam. He's a white guy in Islam, been in Islam for five years. And he said a couple of weeks ago, he ran into something in Islam he did not agree with. And he started praying, asking God to show him what was right. And um, he said he got a letter from a, a Christian girl wanting to be a Christian pen pal. <laughs> um, he received a couple of days after that a book from Dr. David Jeremiah that his step-grandmother mailed in that shouldn't have been allowed to go through to his cell, but it did somehow. And a day or so after that, he received a letter saying they had received his application to go to uh, Kairos, and he said, I didn't fill out an application. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the day after that, he got a letter saying he had been accepted to Kairos. And now he's sitting talking to me and, and asking me to show him some things about salvation. And as I'm doing so, he said the things that I was showing him was the same things he'd been reading in Dr. Jeremiah's book. And he prayed and received Christ right there. Um, his name on the block was Jihad Joe. If that would let you know a little bit of his mentality in Islam. And uh, he stood up and told everybody later that he had received Christ as his Savior, that he made enough bad mistakes in his life, made choices other people wanted to make, and he wasn't going to mess up his eternity uh, in, in front of the group that was, that was there. Uh, we had a second guy that had been in Islam. Uh, his name was Alex. He was also at, at my table. He had uh, been a, a black Muslim uh, from New York City, part of the 5% gang there. Uh, he asked me on Saturday... Uh, to meet with him. We didn't have time to really finish, so I just wrote some verses down for him to read that night. And then that night, he reads a letter that Joel had written. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> we write these letters, and if you guys weren't here last time, you know, we write letters to every prisoner, and, and you know, I really, you only really interact with about seven of them. So the other 35, they encourage you to write it ahead of time. No, John didn't do such a good job of that. <laughs> And I waited until the last week and a half or so. So I wrote all these letters and um, kind of wrote similar letters 
um, not exactly the same throughout each one, and it was kind of cool. This guy gets this letter, and he comes up to me first thing Sunday morning, and he's read your letter, and it really it broke my heart. You know, it it <clears throat> it was a tipping point for me, and <clears throat> the waterworks just started flowing. And I'm thinking, well, that's great, but I don't remember what I wrote you. Um, and uh, you know, he said he said he really related it, related to it, and this and that. Well, Lynn was going to talk to him that afternoon, and so Lynn asked if I could join in on it, and a couple other people came up to me saying, you know, he read your letter and he loved it. What'd you write him? And I'm like, well, it turns out he got one of the letters that I wrote about my dad. My dad, when I was growing up, was really distant, very legalistic. Um, he was there physically, but not emotionally or spiritually. And um, through that experience, you know, I, I believe that God was similar, and and then from some other experiences in my life, I... I and I said to him, and I only wrote this in maybe two letters. I want to say it was only one, but I, I'm not sure. Um, that I that I grew to hate God, and uh, and then I told him how when I decided, you know, made that made the decision that God was good, that He showed me how loving He was and how how great He was. And um, you know, he said that that line he he related to that and he related to this situation with my dad and. And he said that that was just really, uh, you know, eye-opening to him. And, and this is something that Lynn said in the last message. But he said he's reading these letters and these verses late at night, and the cells are dark. But he said that it just looked like the the words were illuminated. You know, I thought that was cool how God works in that. That something that I wrote, you know, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, touched him, and it it found its way to him. And and John kind of had the same experience where he's trying to figure out who to give these letters to. And, and then when he finally gave up on it, you know, he just let God write the names down, basically. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is just kind of how it works. Um, you know, I worked, I served as a table servant, and you literally serve a table of nine guys, and you're getting them coffee and juice and food and cookies and whatever else they want. Um, and you are moving and running, and and, um, and it's really not an easy thing to do, Um and I said this earlier, but you know, I'm not, these guys will attest, I don't like to walk. <laughs> I am, <laughs> I'm lazy. So this, the whole weekend, I was, I was sitting there like, why am I doing this? Why am I even here? And, um, you know, really humbling, really humbling. Uh, you, you know, you get a chance to see how these guys live and you hear stories about how long it's been since they saw their kids and, I spent, you know, three days, two and a half days in there, um, 14 hours, 12 hours at a time, and I was dying missing Christian, and I was dying missing Jessica, and I was dying missing the sun, and I thought about these guys who've been there for 30 years, and it really just made me appreciate uh, more and more what I do have and, and the position that I'm in. So, um, again, like Ken said, I encourage some of you guys, I encourage you guys if you're young, don't think you can't do it. I mean, one of the uh, most of the guys were older than me, but there was one guy who was who was a little bit younger than me, and I think it gave me a little bit of leverage to to be able to you know be on his level a little bit more than some of the older guys there, um, where they see that you know it's not Christianity's not for for the old. Um, so I'd encourage y'all to to look into it. I won't tell you it's fun, but it's rewarding. Uh, if you uh, let me let me kind of connect the dots on that. So he wrote a letter two weeks uh, before he met the guy. Uh, stated in that particular letter exactly what the guy needed to hear, and somehow the Holy Spirit drops it in that guy's lap. You know, 
And, and that happens uh, time and time and time again in there. It, it's, yeah, I, I went in again this time saying, am I going to let them know I'm an ex-cop? You know, because you don't know how they'd react to that. Uh, but both times I've told them that, it's, it's been fine. Now, I was told this last time not to you know, let them know that I'm, I'm, I'm Matt Pennell's pastor because he's a hanging judge that goes, uh, tries cases in there. So they said, I might not get alive if they knew that. You know, so I appreciate you putting me in danger, Matt, while I was in, while I was in there. But, um, but, but it is. I mean, we, we take so many things for granted. And, and you can put a grilled hamburger in front of them, not a steamed one, you know, like, a, and it makes them remember times they were out with their family before they made the mistakes that they made. I mean, there's just so, so many things that we take for granted. And, and kind of to get back in the direction of, of the sermon, uh, I want you to pray for a guy by the name of Lobo. That's his nickname. I won't give you his real name. Uh, but, uh, he's not a Christian, but he made the statement that if, uh, that if the Holy Spirit speaks to him, he would answer. So that's a dangerous statement to make. Uh, and he, and he gets out in, uh, about five days now. So, uh, but he's part of a Nordic type religion is what he believes in. And I asked him, I said, well, how do you get to heaven? So the fastest way is to die in battle. I said, let me tell you about, you know, my God. Instead of me having to die for him, he died for me. And the battle's over with, you know. So, so pray for him. But he stood up in a friend of his that, that's in Wicca, which is witchcraft and considers himself a warlock. They both stood up at the end of the closing ceremony and, and they said, no, we didn't receive Christ our Savior, but you guys need to understand something. You didn't fail because any religion understands love. And, and that's, that's kind of the point of the message today. We, you know, it, when, people will mistreat us, but our goal is to get them to Christ. So I want you to look at these verses, and I'm going to bring up three more uh, verses and to give you some principles to use, and then, and then we're going to close. But in Matthew, Jesus said something really similar we've been talking about. You've heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who's in heaven. And then more or less, he goes on and says, if you just you know treat the ones good that treat you good, what difference is that than everybody else? We need to be more like our Father in heaven. So let me close by giving you three principles. Principles, I think that can help us in a practical way do what I'm talking about. Because so often, humanly, we just want to seek revenge. So guys, if you'll go to the next, uh, next slide, please. Uh, let's go on beyond that one. More or less, C.S. Lewis said it's a, a neat idea to forgive, to you're the one having to forgive people, is what he said. But here's some closing principles to help us practice patience when people uh, mistreat us and, and we're wanting justice. And First Peter said when he was reviled, this is talking about Jesus, to not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to trust himself to the one who judges justly. And then it said he went and he died on the cross for our sins. So here's a picture of that. Jesus is on the way to the cross. People are spitting on him, beating him, cursing him, everything else. But him being God in the flesh could have judged it right, but he didn't because that's not what his goal was then. His goal was to go to the cross. And your, your goal and my goal is not to retaliate to people, it's to get them to the cross, to help them trust in Jesus. Next, next principle, give you two more principles, then we'll close. In Ephesians 4, it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. See, when we're, when we have anger and we harbor it in our heart, that give no opportunity is really saying this. We're letting Satan set up a base of operation in our life to work from. So that's why we don't need to carry bitterness in our heart. And one that I've had to practice a lot in my life, guys, in Ephesians 6, says, for we do not war, 
against flesh and blood. Or wrestle in this translation says, do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Stop and think about that. The person that mistreats you, who, what are they? They're what? Flesh and blood. But instead of wrestling against flesh and blood, our war is against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. See, I've been in law enforcement for 10 years, been a pastor for like 29 years now. People did not always treat me the way I thought they ought to treat me in either one of those professions that I was in and felt like I was called to both at the time. But here's the deal with that. As a pastor, if someone mistreats you, I'm still their pastor. I mean, unless I'm going to walk away, you know, or something like that. So, so I've had through the years to try and see how, how can you have the right mentality towards someone that mistreats you. And here's the deal. Here's how you do it. Instead of seeking revenge, you remember that person is flesh and blood. You put their personality aside. You get mad at the devil because he's the one behind the scenes. And the best way we can get even with the devil is to do what? Love people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father. God, forgive us when we want to practice revenge, when we, uh, when we try and do your job, when we try and be like God ourselves. God, help us to turn loose of that. Help us to realize that vengeance is yours, that you'll take care of things in the future, and, and we just need to trust you to do that. That you'll judge everything right in its time, at the proper time. Father, I pray you empower us as believers to reach a lost world around us because they are gazing with wide open eyes. Father, help us to, to have honorable actions and to live the way we should before them that we might get them to Jesus. God, help us to respond to those that mistreat us with kindness and with love so we can put hot coals on their forehead to prick their conscience and to make them think about what makes us different. So they would have the desire to trust in the same Savior that we follow. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Inside your, uh, in, inside your updates, and if you did not get a copy of the, of the updates on the way in today, there's a little piece of paper like this. As the band plays, I invite you to write down the name of someone that maybe you need to forgive. And as the band plays, you just come put it on the cross. We've asked you in Romans 12 to bring several things to the cross. So today, instead of it being bitterness in your heart or the desire to take out revenge against someone else, why not write it down and, and bring it and stick it on the cross as the band plays? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I would love nothing better than to get the chance to share what that means with you. And if you'd come to me, I'd love to share that with you before we leave. Everyone, please stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.